table if you need to. We're going to stand together because we stand when we read the, the word because we want to make sure that we understand that this is the authority in our lives, that this is the authority over us. And uh, when I you know, explain it, uh, it's, it's more just me explaining it from, a, from the mouth of what I feel like God's given me, but we want to make sure that we, we stand to honor the Lord's word. So let's read together in Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 10. I'm going to be reading from the new, uh, the, the new English translation. It says this, The brothers sent Paul and Silas off to Berea at once during the night. When they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. These Jews were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, for, for they eagerly received the message, examining the scriptures carefully every day to see if these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, along with quite a few prominent Greek women and men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica heard that Paul had also proclaimed the word of God to, in Berea, they came there too, inciting and disturbing the crowds. When the brothers sent Paul away to the coast, then, sorry, then the, the brothers sent Paul away to the coast at once. But Silas and Timothy remained in Berea. Those who accompanied Paul escorted him as far as Athens, and after receiving an order for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they left. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the Bereans and the example that they are to us of their love for the word, their love of the truth. And uh, Lord, they're rejoicing when they came to faith and knowledge that you are truly indeed the Messiah and that you came and that you are glorious. And they joined your people and, were, and received the Holy Spirit. So God, I pray this morning that you would reveal to us uh, our rejoicing in the truth, our rejoicing in the scriptures, our rejoicing in your presence. So Lord, teach us and lead us here this morning as we open up your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So I'm going to go Jewish synagogue style this morning and go ahead and sit down. <laughs> Number they would stand up to read the, the, the word and then they'd sit down to explain it. So feeling a, li a little weak this morning. That's what happens when you water fast. But, but so I wanted to, to show a little bit of, of different things here this morning. The first thing is this graphic, these couple graphics that show the state of, of religion and faith in the church. And these are different years, as you can see at the bottom. And so this is how many time, times uh, they, they read scripture. This is just a general, you know, across the country, believers, non-believers. And you can see how many times a, 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 day, you know, a day or a week that they read. And most people said they never read the Bible, ever. And then there's like people, there's a handful that said that they read the Bible, you know, less than once a year. And then, you know, about the same of, you know, once or twice a year, three or three or more times a, uh, a year, once a month, once a week, several times a week, uh, more, uh, four or more times a week or every day. And so that you can kind of see is, is condensed in the church quite a bit as well. And that agrees with, with Barna's research. Uh, how often do you, re, you, do you use the Bible on your own? This is outside of church. Um, and as you can see, the statistics are pretty similar with it being basically never. There's a large amount of people in our, in our, in our country that read it very, very little. I mean, 29 plus 13 plus 8. And then you have kind of a steady, you know, steady growth o over that. And then to, you know, daily, seven times, a, seven times a week, seven days a week. And so this, this is kind of showing us that there is 
a, a kind of a lack of biblical literacy in in our lives, in our in our churches, and and the and, and we see this you know, like because like I said, like the they, the early church didn't have the Bible. Early church didn't have scriptures necessarily. They they sometimes were able to go and study and listen to the word of God in the synagogues until they were kicked out, of course. And so then they only had really what their Jewish brethren, if there were some Jewish, Jewish people in the church, to tell them the stories of the Old Testament, to tell them the histories about what God did. And so, but we see, we come to this church in Berea, and we see that they are such a great and beautiful example of what is life in our faith supposed to be like. We have been given an incredible blessing that I've got, you know, I've got the NET, you've got the CSB, other people have King James, other people have different translations. Like, we have a plethora of translations and, and, uh, and resources that we have at our fingertips. There are people that come from all over the world to America to study the Christian faith because we have just an astronomical amount of resources available. And so, what, do we take advantage of all these resources? Do we take advantage of the opportunity to know God? to know about God, to know about the, the, the Gospels and the Scriptures itself. And so what I, what I want us to see this morning is that God desires for us to rejoice in the truth, that we be people that rejoice in His Word, that we are people that rejoice in His presence, in the Holy Spirit. Because like I said, you can't have, it's like a two-winged bird. You can't have just the Scripture without having the Holy Spirit. And you can't have just the Holy Spirit without having the Scripture. It's got to be a balanced bird. Both, both wings of the Spirit and the Word propelling us forward in our, in our faith and in our, in our lives. And so, but we see with, with this morning is that we want to be people that seek the truth, people that find the truth, and people that rejoice in the truth. Like Jesus said in the Gospels, where you know, this person, this lady lost a coin and then she found it and she rejoiced and invited all of her friends to come and celebrate that she had found her lost coin. And so we seek the truth. We seek after that gold coin. We seek after the treasure. And then we find. Because God even says, those who seek, find. And when, we, when you find it, you rejoice. Like the prodigal son, or as I like to call it, the lost son. He was lost. But then he sought. He sought after his father. And he found his father. And then well, his father looked and he sought after it. He found his son coming back to him. And then he rejoiced and threw a big feast when his son came home. So we seek the truth. We find the truth. We rejoice in the truth. As we see in our passage today, like the Bereans, we also need to be people that examine the scriptures to make sure that what we believe is actually true. Because sometimes we can get to a place where like, we believe things about the Bible that are not true. <laughs> and so we need to make sure that we are people that know the truth, that we, that we are people that believe what is actually true and not just fan fantasies and, and things that sound good. So I said that, like, don't take speakers or bloggers or podcasters, uh, pastors or preachers, even me. Don't just take us at face value. Don't just take us at what we say. You know, speakers may sound good and may make us feel good. There's a lot of preachers out there that can make, make you feel good. Make you feel good about you. But 
Always be in a posture of discernment when it comes to your soul. Now, not, I don't mean that in the say like, you know, don't be like approach things as being defensive and, you know, and have a, have a posture of criticism. Like, oh, prove it to me before I'll listen to you. Prove it to me first. And maybe I'll, I might believe a nugget or two that you have. Like having this like self-defensive mode. Like don't sit with the attitude of prove yourself. We, we, you know, we ought to come with a posture of humility and say, Spirit, help me to hear what you desire for me to hear today. Help me to hear your voice and receive. And then maybe later we're chewing on the meat and, oh, there's a bone there. You spit it out, right? But receive from, from people. Um, search the scriptures and ask the Holy Spirit to give you discernment. As Martin Luther said, you know, the, the, fa- the famous reformer said, I am a man and I, am, and I can err. You know, I am but a man but, and I can err, which means to make mistakes misspeak, right? So let's look, at, let's look at our passage here this morning. So these Bible-loving Bereans. I tried to find a, 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 a rhyming B word, like a Bible-believing Bereans, right? <laughs> As a good Baptist. But, uh, but we see, so Paul and Silas and Timothy arrive here in Berea. Now, Berea was, and actually still is today, it's still there today. It's spelled differently when you go on Google Maps. It's Veroia, Veroia um, in the Greek. But so Greek, uh, Berea was and still is today located about 40 miles southwest of Thessalonica um, along the the shores of the Estreas River that runs down into the Thermaic Gulf, kind of in the northern part of the Aegean Sea. So the Aegean Sea is the sea between Greece and Turkey, uh, where we saw Paul cross from Troas over to up to Philippi. And so they're right there kind of toward the sea, kind of close to the sea, but they're up a river there. So it's a, it's a seafaring town. So the ships would come in, go up the river, as you can kind of see in your, in your notes there at the bottom, you can see the trajectory there. You can kind of see the, the sea there at the bottom. But so what we see here is, but Berea was not really a prominent city like Thessalonica, which was like basically the capital of, the, of Northern Macedonia. And because of, it, of its influence and its size, could he even have considered you know, the capital of all of Greece at the time? It was an, an incredibly massive city. But Berea, so if, if, if Thessalonica was like the Bozeman, we're like, you know, Belgrade is, you know, Berea is like Belgrade. You know, kind of a smaller town and known for its, you know, agrarian history, right? So Berea was an agrarian town known for selling horses and cattle. They're known to, like, they were the the best horses and the best cattle. Like they were the sought after in Berea. You know, kind of like our wheat and our barley. You know this, but Anheuser-Busch uses our wheat and our barley for their beers and hops around this area. So we're kind of a big deal, <laughs> which has confused me why they didn't rebuild the, el- the grain elevator. I don't know. But, but so Paul and and and, and if I could talk, Paul, Paul and Silas and Timothy stopped here most likely because not because it was a big city, but because of the Jewish synagogue, as their mo was that like whenever they came into a city or a town, they would stop at the Jewish synagogue. And so unlike you know unlike Philippi that didn't have a synagogue, we have a synagogue right here in in Berea. So it had a large enough Jewish population. Remember, we had to have 10 Jewish men 
to organize a, an actual synagogue, an official synagogue. And so there's a good number of Jews here in this town, um, but they also knew, because their assignment was to the Gentiles, that there would also be a lot of Greek and God-fearers, which are you know Greek people that ascribe to the Jewish faith and religion, but they haven't gone all the way to like <coughs> circumcision. So they're they're like the peripheral believers. They believe and they're worshiping Yahweh, but they haven't quite followed all the way through the circumcision to become proselytes. And so, but there would be all these people, these Greeks and God fearers, in this in this town meeting in the synagogue. And here's the cool part: is is realizing that a lot of people say like, oh, Paul and Silas, like they only went to big cities. Well, right here, we, it proves that they didn't. They, they went to where God led them, where God gave them an open door for the gospel. And they were faithful wherever God led them. And so Paul and Silas understood that God, that God has plans for small towns too. God has plans for Belgrade. Do you believe that? God has plans for our town. We don't have to just simply be tied to just what God's doing in Bozeman. God has plans for us here. So we have to ask ourselves, what is, your, what is God's heart for us? What is God's heart for us as, at Shift's Church to be a part of what God is doing in our city? We're, we're, we may be smaller, but we're not small. Did you guys know that Belgrade is actually the largest city in Montana that's not the county seat? Kind of cool. So Belgrade is the largest town, largest city in Montana that's not the county seat. Like Bozeman is the county seat, right. you know. Living up, uh, was it Livingston is the county seat for Park, yeah. right? Helena is the car, the ca the capital there. We are not the capital, but we are the largest city in Montana. That's not the county seat. Kind of cool. Um, but so God has big plans for us, and so all we have to do is ask God, God, what do you want for us? And God is faithful. God will 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 show us. God will provide the answers to that. So according to the chronology, so verse 10 and verse 12 here, uh, the, you know, the verse 10 through verse 12, probably actually occur over the course of several months. So this isn't like a, you know, like a flash in the pan, like they're there for a couple days and all of a sudden the agitators come. They don't have email. They don't have phones to, for word to get back to Thessalonica that they're here. So this, the, it was probably, they're probably there at least for weeks, if not months, uh, which they love to do. And they found that these Bereans were more open-minded. Also, another way of translating your, your translation might say noble character or well-born, right? Um, but there, there's, so the understanding that, like this passage, the NET translates it as open-minded because it's talking about the nobility of their open-mindedness uh, than those in Thessalonica. And so actually there's a, a Dake's reference Bible talks about these three acts of nobility. Like what does it mean to be noble? And as a, as a believer, he says, uh, number one, they received the word of God with all readiness and open mindedness. Number two, they searched the scriptures daily to discover the truth. And three, they believed the spoken word <clears throat> by believing what was written in the scriptures. So my question is, do those things display our lives? Do those things show that we are noble in our in our in our pursuit in our relationship with God? Are we, do we receive the word of God with readiness and open-mindedness? Open do we receive, do we, do we actually, do we search out, do we pour over the scriptures daily to discover the truth? Do we believe the spoken word that was written, in, that is written in the scriptures? 
Does the word of God truly have authority over our lives? Does the word of God truly have a footing in our, in our soul, in our minds, and in our thoughts, and in our hearts? And it's because of this passage, actually, that, that the term Bereans um, has come to be applied to people who intentionally study the scriptures. The, the, the Berean Jews and God-fearers had a deep desire for God's word. They loved going deep. Which, if you know anything about me, that's me. <laughs> I love going deep. Deep in the scriptures. Commentaries galore. I mean, sometimes my desk looks like, you know, just one of those nerdy library professors or whatever. It's like just books everywhere. And then my, my club crackers over here and my coffee right there. Um, so, but do we go deep? Do we enjoy going, doing a deep dive and, and following rabbit holes and going into the references and like going into the commentaries? Do we do Google searches about or word searches? Do we love pouring over these things to just soak it all in and let it just wash over us? To where at the end of the day, we're like, oh, Wow. Just like fire hose. <laughs> but man, that was good. <laughs> I love this. Like, they didn't approach Paul with this like critical spirit like those in Thessalonica or those in Antioch Pisidia or those in Cyprus. They weren't like, hey, <clears throat> prove it to me. Sounds like most people. No. They didn't do this with Paul. By, you know, go, like, by way of argument or debate. They weren't in opposition or, or, criti- or cynicism of Paul's claims of the Messiah's coming. They were reading the Old Testament in hope. In ho- they were already in a position and a posture of hope. But the, his message was true. They wanted it to be true. Why? Because the Jewish people were waiting for the Messiah. The people of God were waiting for the pouring of the Holy Spirit. And they were like, really? That he came? We didn't miss it? Tell me more. And so tell me, that's confusing because he died. But I don't, was he supposed to die? And so like a lot of things, a lot of their, their paradigms had to change. They're like, show us. Show us that in the word, in the Bible. Let's, let's go, let's go. Let's pull out the scrolls. You know, let's go, let's go deep. Tell us, teach us. So for months, they poured over the scriptures every day. And man, my, my dad always loved telling me that, you know, kind of like, you know, why do you do what you do? Like, why do you do, why do you do the job that you do? Right? And my dad always, every time, every single time I ever asked my dad, what keeps you going? What keeps you going through all the drama and all the politics of the church? He said, I live for the aha moment. I live for when I'm discipling or sharing the faith and the scriptures and, and everything about our faith with a, with, a, with a middle schooler or a high schooler. And I see their eyes light up like, aha, the discovery of truth. They found the truth and now and they're rejoicing in the truth. And that's what we're, we're seeing here. It's, it's like the Bereans are having these like aha moments left and right. And he said, many of these, what do you say? Many of them believed. Many of them believed his message. 
Because for, for a first century Jewish man or woman, news that the Messiah had come to Israel and Jerusalem would be exciting. That would ring a bell. It would be like, yes, we've been waiting. Tell us more. We want to know the Messiah. We want to know his goodness. We want to know his glory. Rather than listening to them from a place of like criticism and critique, they listened eagerly. And they, like, they eagerly received their message. But they didn't just take them at face value, right? He didn't just come in and say, oh, the Messiah's come. They're like, yay! He was like, oh, cool, show us. Tell us, because your message is confusing to what we thought. Wasn't he supposed to be a military leader? Like, great political leader? Wasn't he supposed to be like all the, you know, all these things that we had put in place that we thought he was going to be? But he's none of those things. <laughs> so show us, tell us, reveal to us in your word. Let's go. Let's open, up our, let's open up our scrolls and go deep. Let's go. They loved it. They examined the scripture every day to see if these things were so. And the result, what, what is the result when you go in the scriptures? When you're seeking the truth, you find the truth. Many of the Jews believed, along with their, you know, their target audience, because he felt that his, his calling was to the Gentiles, right? And so they, his target audience of the Gentiles, these God-fearers, and many of the prominent women, and also men, believed. But it's interesting to see, like, again, like, the, like Thessalonica, a lot of the prominent women believed. Because like I said, remember, remember, name order banners. So the, first, the name that's, that's mentioned first is the most important. So in this passage, these Greek women, these prominent women were more important. And also the men. It's like like they added them as like a a sub-note, side note, right? They also believed. And so we have this swath of people, like many of these people. And remember, it's a small town. It's probably about the same same size as Belgrade, about 10,000 people or so. If, if we are willing to read the scriptures and really allow them to speak to us, rather than coming to them with a distinct theological agenda and one person's perspective, like the Holy Spirit will give you great revelations. He will give you great revelation and clarity. He will reveal to you, especially when it comes to Jesus. He will show you Jesus. You know, he will knock your socks off of Jesus and the goodness of the gospel. And here, like in Thessalonica, many prominent and influential Greek women um, came to faith in Jesus as well. Here, as in many places in the, in the New Testament scriptures, as well as church history you know, proclaims, women seem to be in the church the backbone of the church. And most prominent members in the Christian church because we see this throughout all of scripture in church history. As, as Peter Wagner says, the, it, axiomatic, it's axiomatic, meaning unquestionable or den- undeniable, that more women than men were willing to put their faith in Jesus Christ and serve him with their lives. As you see, like the church in Philippi, it was mostly women. And Luke, <laughs> he left him in Philippi. And it was like Luke and a bunch of women that planted the church. And it was... It was uh, it was uh, Priscilla, and 
Priscilla, not Priscilla, well, it was uh, Lydia. Lydia, that's the one. It was Lydia who hosted the first home church and became one of the, one of the main, main prominent people in the church in Philippi. It's kind of like that now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we always talked about, like, the, the you know, how, do you, how do we design our churches? Like, do, do men walk into churches and they see doilies everywhere? You know, because, you know, because, no, that's not a criticism. You know, it's just, it's just the, you know, is, are our churches inviting to men and women? Because uh, one of the things about, about church culture is that if for a time it became more applied to to women in the church, and so men felt, felt uncomfortable in the church. Um, and so basically, how do we create our, our space to be welcoming to both? Yeah, but that's a little side note. Anyway, so we have this wonderful, glorious thing happening. We see the Bereans come to faith in Jesus and, and studying the scriptures and growing in their faith and believing that he's the Messiah. And then we have... We have the return of those guys. Those guys. <laughs> we have the return of the Jew, the jealous Jews. So eventually, word of Paul and Silas and Timothy's presence in preaching in Berea got back to the synagogue in Thessalonica. But I mean, possibly because someone visiting their their synagogue in Berea maybe went back and was was telling either someone who believed or someone maybe someone who didn't believe, and they were like, "Hey, we've got these guys over here," or "Hey, man, the gospel's coming. We're we're believing the Messiah's coming. Can you believe it? Where did you hear that? All these guys in Berea are preaching this. Oh, let's go, guys!" So they all came. That, you know, they got the the group together. They got the posse together, and they went down to Berea. The mob. And these people who stirred up trouble throughout the world, like we said in verse 6 from last week in Thessalonica, that was their accusation. They're saying, oh, these people have, who have stirred up trouble throughout the world have come here. It's interesting, though. Look at the passage. Ironically, it was the jealous Jews who were the ones stirring up the trouble in these various cities. Paul and Silas and Timothy were super peaceful. They were, they were loving dudes. They were graceful. You know, they were, they were serving people. They were serving the synagogue, blessing people. It was these jealous Jews that were the ones stirring trouble. They are the ones who started the riots in every one of the cities where the riots broke out. And right now, we're at, we're at number three. We, we started at Lystra, where he got stoned to death. Then we have Thessalonica, and now Berea. And here's the, the, the true evidence of that, is that jealousy will drive you mad. You will make decisions that are stupid, that make no rational sense after you've done them. You're like, why did I do that? Because <laughs> you were jealous. Jealousy will drive you bunkers and drive you to do things that are illogical and loving and just not true to who you are. You'll become another person. Mm -hmm. Paul knew the dangers. He knew the dangers of ministry. That's why the church in, in Antioch of, of Syria, before he was sent on this journey, prayed over him and <coughs> handed him over to the Holy Spirit, to, handed him over to the Lord. Like, we know this is going to be dangerous. And yet, he pressed on. He put his life, and not just his life, but he put the life of his friends, 
his co-laborers in the faith on the line in danger, in the midst of the danger to preach the gospel. And he'll later write in the, in the book of Romans, he says this, how are they to call on the one that they have not believed in? And how are they to believe in the one that they have not heard of? And how are they to hear without someone preaching to them? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how timely is the arrival of those who proclaim the good news. But not all have obeyed the good news. For Isaiah says, says Lord, who has believed your, our report? Consequently, faith comes from what is heard. And what is heard comes through the preached word of Christ. But I ask you, but I ask, have they not heard? Yeah, they have. Their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But again, I ask, didn't Israel understand? I mean, first Moses says, I will make you jealous by those who are not a nation. With a senseless nation, I will provoke you to anger. And Isaiah is even bold enough to say, I was found by those who did not seek me. I became well known to those who did not ask for me. But about Israel, he says, all day long I held out my hands to this disobedient and stubborn people. Paul knew in his journey that people, there would people be people that would accept the message and not accept the message. And because of this, this passage, he knew solidly his assignment was to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish people. They needed Jesus. They needed God. They needed, they needed the God that their people had worshipped for so long. Would, would you go like the, like the computer up? <laughs> Just push the, the space bar. I don't know why I did that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought it said to not go away. Weird, I don't know. <laughs> I'll need to go back in there again, get back in the settings. Just press space bar or something. Yeah. There it goes. Okay, what did you do? Reset the, the screen with the buttons. Thank you. All right, well, moving on. So Paul obeyed, here's the thing, like Paul obeyed Jesus' commands. His, his protocol in, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 23, he says, as they were, as they were, oh, as they, as they were the, the same instructions with, with that Jesus, oh, what happened? What do you do? Just like a pause.
There you go. Let's go back to this. All right. So his protocol, you know, Jesus taught, taught Jesus in Arabia for three years, right? And so Jesus taught him the same things that he taught his disciples. He said, whenever they persecute you in one town, flee to another. Like, don't try to fight. Like, stay and fight. Like, just go. You know, the peace is left. The reception is left. So you go just flee to another. So he, he and some of the brothers and sisters from Berea, then, you know, Silas and, and Timothy, after setting things in order in Berea, they fled to the next town, which was Antioch, which we'll get to next week. But their journey took them probably down the Estreus River, and that, that's where we see the thing on your, on your hand out there. You see their, their journey. Um, they, they journeyed from Berea down the Estreus River to where, where it joins in the, into the northern Aegean Sea along the coast. And on their, on their voyage south, this is the crazy thing. I think we, we talked about this last time. They would have passed right by Mount Olympus, right there on the coast, which is what that picture is as well, like next to it. That's a view from the, sea, from the Aegean Sea looking at Mount Olympus. And what was Mount Olympus? Where the gods lived. Where Zeus and, the, and, the, and it was, it was Olymp, Mount Olympus. You know, the, all the gods, Athena and... and you know, or in the Greek cult, you know, in the, the Romans, like Jupiter and Mars and, and Venus and, and all those gods. That's the mountain that was the mountain of the gods. So I can even see like Paul like doing some spiritual warfare, like praying, you know, praying against the Mount Olympus on, on his journey past it. But, uh, but they passed right by it. And so it reminded Paul why he was doing what he was doing to free them from the worthless gods, to serve the Almighty and the good and loving God, our God Jesus. So why should we do this today? Why should we seek the truth and find the truth and rejoice in the truth? I'm reminded with, with, with David's words in the Psalms when he wrote these, these words. Happy are the people who walk in integrity, who live according to the teachings of the eternal Happy are the people who keep his decrees, who pursue him wholeheartedly. These are people who do nothing wrong. They do what it, what, what it takes to follow his ways. You have given us your precepts so we would be careful about keeping them. Oh, that every part of my life would remain in line with what you require. Then I would feel no shame when I fix my eyes upon your commands. With a pure heart, I will give thanks to you. When I hear about your just and fair rulings, I will live within your limits. Do not abandon me completely. May your unfailing love find me, O eternal one. Keep your promise and save me. When that happens, I will have a good response for anyone who taunts me because I have faith in your word. Do not take your message of truth from my mouth because I wait and rely on your just decisions. Therefore, I will follow your teachings forever and ever. And I will live a life of freedom because I pursue your precepts. I will testify of your decrees before royalty and will not be humiliated. I will find my joy in your commands, which I love. And I will raise my hands to your commands, which I love, and I will fix my mind on what you require. Your word is a lamp for my steps. It lights the path before me. I have taken a note and confirmed it 
I pledge to do what you say is right and just. I have suffered terribly, O Eternal One. Give me the life you, pr you promised. Please accept the words I offer willingly. O Eternal One, and, and instruct me in the ways of your justice. My soul is continually in danger, but I do not forget your teachings. The wicked have laid a trap for me, but I have not drifted away from your instructions. Your decrees are forever mine, for they bring joy to my life. I have committed myself to do what you require forever and ever to the very end. So if we're to be people who seek the truth and find the truth and rejoice in the truth, we're going to be people that rejoice in the truth. How do we seek these things out? How do we do this? How do we read God's word? How do we study this? The number one thing I've, I've found is like, people are like, I don't really read the Bible because I just feel like I don't get it. I don't feel like I understand it. And so let's get, get, do, go over uh, basics, the basics of how to read the Bible. Let's start with the how not to read the Bible, the don'ts. Don't cherry pick. Don't be like, -la 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 -la. and Judas went and hung himself. Okay, -la 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 -la. Go and do likewise. <laughs> That's a bad way to read the Bible. <laughs> Don't cherry pick or read just one verse. Context. Everyone do this. Context. Everyone join me. One, two, three. Context. As my New Testament professor in college always did. Context. If you read a verse, it sounds cool. Awesome. Great. Read the paragraph. Right. And then read the book. Understand, don't just seek to know a verse and to memorize a verse. Know the word. What does that verse mean? What are the goodies of it? Number two, don't read a regular, don't read, don't, if you're going to like read the Bible like through, don't read through a regular one cover to cover. That's going to sound weird. But, but I would say read a chronological Bible to actually understand it. There's a great one called a day-by-day. Day. Don't read a regular one. Sorry, don't read a regular one. Oh, cover to cover. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the sense of like, just don't like start from page one in Genesis and end in Revelation in one of these Bibles because everything's confusing and out of order. And if you read it that way, you will get nothing from the Old Testament especially. So read it in chronological order because you will understand it. I, never, I feel like I, don't, I learned so many more things from reading it that way than I did in seminary. It was amazing. Like just reading the Bible in chronological order from cover to cover. So there's one called this Day-by-Day -day Study Bible. I'm sorry, Day-by-Day -day Chronological Bible by the, the CSB, the same one that you have on your table there. Um, put it on, throw, it on, throw it on Amazon, throw it in your cart, buy it as soon as you can because it is a phenomenal tool. Amberlynn and I just started it again. It's wonderful, a wonderful way to read the Bible. Uh, number three, don't just read it to get ammo for an argument. Don't just read it and try to get verses that you can use as like, it's like, you know, he's like, how do I, how do I poke you with the word of God to make you see my point of view? Right. Number three, number four, don't just take it at face or literal value. Because what? The Bible has context. I mean, both like in the, in the paragraph and the book, in the chapter and in the book, but also its place and where it was written, why it was written, who it was written to. 
like the context of it, figures of speech. Not all the Bible is literal. There's quite a bit of, of the Bible, like especially things like you know, Daniel and, and Revelation and all sorts that are not literal. There's not going to be a literal beast coming out of the ocean with like you know, ten horns and you know, all this stuff. It's not, not going to happen like that. It's figure of speech to proclaim a deeper truth and also different genres, right? Poets, you know, poetic writings and things like that. Um, don't base your theology on things that were supposed to be figurative. But what does a figurative mean? And that's what, you know, what, that's what forms your theology. What is it trying to say? What are you trying to, what is the meaning of it? Not just what does it say, what does it mean? There's a difference. There's a big difference. And like I said, like I always say, and I'm going to say it again, and I will always say it till the day I die probably. There's no such thing as a plain reading of scripture. You have to seek to understand, not just to memorize the literal words. Because there's stuff behind the literal words beautiful things. Things that will like make the Bible to like blow off, you'll blow up off the page and make you go, oh Lord, you're amazing. You're incredible. But we don't get that if we're trying to read it through a literal lens. It is, it is literally true, but not all the Bible is literal. So, seek to understand the meaning. So let's, let's look at the do's. So do's, read it prayerfully. Ask Holy Spirit to guide you and speak to you as you read it. Don't just read it like, oh, I'm picking up my Bible today. <laughs> read the Bible. Say, oh, Holy Spirit, please. Even if it's just one word, let, let that word jump off the page. Let your meaning and your, and your glory just reveal yourself, re reveal the truth to me. So read it in a prayerful stance. Number two, read it to make much of God and to connect with God. And you will know more about your identity and who you are. But we don't read the Bible specifically and only to like, oh, let's, let's understand myself more. Let's understand how awesome I am. No. We want to seek it, read the Bible to see how awesome he is. Amen. And if we're in him, if we are in Christ, he will show us how his, his love and his affection for us. He will show us the glory in our state as risen with Christ in the heavenly realms. Placed with him, made alive, and his overwhelming desire for us. And that is what we need to look for. Number two, number three, read it to understand it. Again, it's got genres and you know, context and figures of speech, symbolism and such, right? I mean, think about it. Like Jeremiah 29, 11. I, I put it on my letterman jacket when I was in high school. You know, for God, you know, for, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Yay! Well, they were about to get a royal spunking. They were in, going into exile. God was punishing them. God was destroying Israel. That doesn't, all of a sudden doesn't sound so hopeful, does it? But he said, oh, guys, it's like a parent saying, this hurts me more than it hurts you. This is God saying, this hurts me more than it hurts you. I don't, these are not my plans for you. I don't want this for you. I have joy for you. I have flourishing for you. But you keep batting my hand away. You keep worshiping other gods. You keep abandoning me. And so you want other gods? You want other nations? Fine. 
but I have plans for you. I will come, and he said, I will come and be with you. You will seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. The context seems to make it more rich, doesn't it? Versus like, right now the plans I have for you. Yay. A little little bit deeper, right? It's more beautiful. It's more gracious. It's more glorious. Number four, follow the references. Get a Bible that's got references in it. Sometimes it's great to have a Bible that's just plain, simple, easy to read, like the day-by-day chronological, doesn't have any notes in it, just has a little thing that sets up each day in the context, but there's no notes. But for your study, get something with notes. I mean, maybe not as much as this one. This one has 70,000. Um, <laughs> and they're mostly textual notes. This is my nerd Bible. But uh, <laughs> there's like beautiful Bibles that have references in the margins or the base that lead you to other scriptures. This was, how, this was what started my nerdiness. Like during worship, I would just sit there and he would like read one scripture. I wouldn't listen to the rest of what he said. But I was just like pouring over the scriptures. I just want to read this Bible, this verse. And I, oh, I see a reference. I'm going to go there. I see a reference. I'm going to go there. And like deepening my understanding of the word just simply by following the reference. It's almost like a create your own story. <laughs> but, or discover your own story, really. Right? Discovering the word of God. Discovering connections. And what this says over here, like, oh, this is the passage David quotes here. And oh my gosh, wow, this is what it says here. Beautiful stuff. Follow the references. It's a great way to get started. Number five, understand that you may not understand. May understand that you may not understand. I mean, I've been studying the Bible since, uh, you know, deeply since seventh grade. I have a bachelor's degree. I have a master's degree. And I still don't understand everything. I'm having revelations every day with, with the word. And every season, it seems like God is like blowing my mind with new things. And I'm like, whoa, how have I been studying this for that long? And I still didn't get this. Oh, because I was a Baptist and we didn't believe in spiritual things. Oh, right. Father's in the Holy Bible. But we don't believe the things that are actually in the Bible. But, but opening my mind to see the glories of him, the glories of the word. So keep, always be learners. Always be Bereans. Always be studying. Ne- like number six, never stop seeking, learning, and growing. Never stop. Be a learner till the day you die. Like, I want to see you on your deathbed with a Bible in your hands and a commentary on your right. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but still be seeking the Lord all the days of your life because he is eternal. You will never understand everything. But the more you understand, the more glory you have in your life, the more joy you have in your life, the more blown away you are by the Holy Spirit and God's presence and his truth and his word and who he is, the more your life will jump off the page. And everywhere you go. You don't have to have a theological or Bible degree to understand and live out your faith. Find different sources online or in print that will help you navigate understanding the Bible. And here's a few of them. Here we go. I'm going to give you some resources here. Ready? Oh, I should have put these in your notes. I'm so sorry. So I'll leave this up there for a while. (laughs) I'll come back to it. I've got another slide with this on this. But so blue, uh, so BibleGateway.com. I use this every time I write my sermon. This is the Bible. It's Bible Gate. It's got like time, like for three ninety nine, you get like all these commentaries and study Bibles and notes and all sorts of stuff. Resources for four bucks a month. Super cheap. Super awesome. There's a free version too, but you don't get as many resources. 
But blueletterbible.com, who, who, who made that one? I'm trying to remember. There was someone who just told me that. I can't remember who it was. Anyway, so Blue Letter Bible is another resource. I don't use them. I used to use them back in college, but then I found Bible Gateway. I thought it was a better resource. But there's a lot of people that love Blue Letter Bibles. Uh, Bible Hub. This is an awesome resource. Uh, this is where you get... This is... Okay, this is... If you want to channel your inner nerd, BibleInTheHub.com. So it's got a... It's, so there's there's a, a place here. So what you go is you go and you search the passage that you're, that you're reading... And you click at the top, interlinear, and it gives you all the, the crazy stuff. And then click the number above the word. I'll show you what this looks like. So as you look at that, you're like, whoa, that's confusing. So, so it's basically like, so it's, it's a sentence. It's part of the sentence is going down. And so you'll see the Greek word. And you can say, it's all Greek to me. Yes, it's Greek. Um, so you can see the Greek word. And then you see the English word. Do we see the English word? Yeah, the English word is just below it. Um, and then at the very top of that part, you see the numbers. And when you click the number, it will pull this up. And this is a whole word search. It has all these, there we go, uh, Strongs and Thayers and Word Study, word study you know, helps. It's got like four or five different resources in the original languages and their commentaries on that word. So you can deeper understand it. And then to the right, you have all the other places where it's used in the, in the Bible. So this is an easy way to do a word study without having to learn Greek or Hebrew. You just learn the meaning. Like, what does that word mean? Go on Bible Hub. It's free. It's wonderful. It's free. I literally use this every time I, 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 I uh, prepare a sermon. So, and then you've got all sorts of really cool things like libraries, you know, study Bibles and studying together. And actually, so I'm going to cast a little bit of vision here. So, um, so downstairs, right there in this, this last room on the, on, the, on the far left, we're going to create and do a study. It's going to have a library that, that I'm going to curate. <laughs> That's got, I mean, we've got like hundreds of books up the stairs. If, you see, if you've been seeing those boxes up the stairs for months now, um, they've got all sorts of, this, this woman donated her entire library to us. And so I'm going to be going through that, going through that library, and we're going to put it downstairs uh, combined with our library, little, little bookshelf. So we have a resources and a conference table, and then you know, ca you know, chairs and couches and a TV to do Bible studies with, or to just go down there one, yourself one, one of these days. If you're so researching the Bible and want to know more, there's going to be a great resource right there. Now I'm going to put my library in the office, which will be also be accessible as well. And so we'll have two libraries to choose from you know, for, for researching uh, scripture, reading, reading Christian books. There's going to be such incredible resources here at the church for you to, to, for you to indulge in. Um, just look, look at it as a, as a, as a Bible buffet <laughs> Down, downstairs. Um, so get together and study the Bible. You know, ask your, ask me, ask your pastor for whoever you're, you know, if, you know, ask me because um, I like I said I always like to say I'm a nerd for your benefit. <laughs> I love studying the Bible. I love knowing more, and uh, so I've started I've started to actually sit down and, and actually to actually meet with one of the local pastors just to help him to understand the Bible more. He hasn't gone to college or you know Bible college or anything, so it's been great just to sit down with him and just to go over the. In the basics, but also go deeper and answer questions. And so, ask me. I would love to sit down with you for coffee sometime if you have questions about the faith, about the Bible, about the reliability about the Bible, what translation, like all anything and everything you have about the Christian faith. I would love to just sit down with you and talk about you, talk about it with you. Um, so, you know, it would also be a great, perfect, you know, resource, if, especially here at the church. Maybe if someone wanted to start up like a you know Berean Bible study ad group, you know. <laughs> But uh, 
So, but heed these words. Take up these tools for indulging in God's word. Indulge. Be a glutton for God's word. It's not gluttony. It's not a sin when you, when you just like devour the Bible. Press in and read and pray. Be faithful to God and be faithful in reading his word. Men and women have laid down their lives for hundreds of years to preserve our ability to have this. Ulrich Zwingli was burned at the stake because he tried to bring the Bible to his people. There are people over the centuries that have died because they wanted the people to read and know God's word. Don't take it for granted. So that may we be people that seek the truth, that find the truth, and rejoice, rejoice, rejoice in the truth. May that be said of us, Ship's Church. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Bible. We thank you for the Bereans. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the gospel that you have called us into, the glory of Jesus Christ, the, your shed blood on the cross, but your resurrection from the grave. That if we would believe, believe and place our faith and our trust in you, Jesus Christ, and be baptized that you would forgive all of our sins, all of our trespasses, all of our stupidity, and that you would wash them clean, that you would cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and that we would receive the free gift of the Holy Spirit and eternal life with you and your kingdom. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. And Lord Most High, we thank you for you. You are so good. You are glorious. You are the God above gods. You are the King above kings. You are the Lord above lords. You are our God Most High. We pray that you would inspire us, Lord. Stir within us a desire to pour over your word. Lord, to, to pour over your scripture, and to invite your Holy Spirit to do your work in our lives every single day, that we would walk by your Spirit so that we would flee the things of this world and remain and keep focused on you, Holy Spirit. Keep focused on you, Lord God. That we may edify one another and build one another up in love. That we love one another and love you above all. Because you are our you are our Savior. You are our glory. You are our God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.